All right. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Sorry for the no warning, but it's just the way it happens. And there's so many wonderful people that we haven't seen for a while who come in. So if you guys, I'm going to open in prayer. And if you could join me in prayer, and then we'll get into the study, okay? Father Yahweh, great and mighty you are. There is none like you, Father. We give you great thanks for this Shabbat. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy that you show each and every one of us. And Father, we come here today to understand you, to grow closer to you, understand the words of your Son and the words that come from you. And Father, empower us to be obedient. And just, Father, help us with this walk that, that, that is before us. We thank you again. Amen. All right. Well, Shabbat Shalom again, everyone. I'm glad all of you guys are here. Oh, good to see you guys. It's been a while, too. Wow. This is a special day. There's a lot of people here. So, oh, but I want to say Shabbat Shalom to all those online, our, uh, our, our online family. As you know, livingmessiah.com is our website. You'll find the donate button there, and we want to thank all those who support us in so many different ways, but thank you so much. In that, and as you know, this is like uh, this study. Um, it's open mic for uh, questions or comments. Just raise your hand, and the mic. There's two of them out there. They'll find their way to you. All I ask is that we can kind of stay on point. And the other thing is try to be brief in your comments or or any questions. I, so that gives other oppor- others opportunity and. The whole purpose is that we learn together. That's the biggest thing. So if you could do that, that'd be great. And the other thing is when you do have the mic, make sure it's close to your mouth. That way it comes uh, clear for those here and those online that are joining us. So this brings us to the book of Acts. This has been our, our, our study lately, and we're in chapter 13. So. As a quick review, Barnaba and uh, Shaul or Saul, they have been set out on a missionary journey endorsed by the assembly in Antioch. That's where we're at. They have arrived in a town called uh, uh, Paphos on the island of Cyprus. Okay? So that gives us an idea of where we're at. Um. There they found a certain magician, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar Yeshua. Bar Yeshua, being a magician and a false prophet, gives us this opportunity to review what a prophet is from the other nations and, more importantly, um, from how Elohim, our God, defines a prophet. We left off last, uh, last week at Mount Sinai, of all places, but that's where it leads us when we're looking at the idea of a prophet. So we left off at Mount Sinai, um, and we did that because Moses, he received the word, right? The words from the Most High, the instructions that given, and there we find insight on what a prophet is to have, the qualifications, so to speak, if this prophet is from Elohim, okay? Whether those words have authority or they are just empty or false. Here's something I noticed in my study going through here that I thought was interesting. 
And it relates to the New Testament, obviously, because Acts is part of the New Testament. You're aware of the false prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, right? That big showdown with Elijah. The phrase false prophet is not quite honest. It it may be a header in your Bibles, you know, the false prophets of this, the false... Okay, that might be the case. But... And in some sense, that statement might be true, false prophet. But it's really not what the text is saying. The actual text does not say that. And I think that's interesting. So, and I think that's important to point out, because the story of the prophets of Baal and Elijah, this word not being there, so this word false, is not applied to the prophets of Baal. Actually, nowhere in the Hebrew text is there that exact phrase, false prophet. Like, there arose a false prophet from somewhere. and from, That doesn't exist. I couldn't find it. So, not until you come to the book of Jeremiah, though, do you have the, any mention of the idea of the word false associated with prophets. It doesn't say false prophets there either. It just says their words are false and empty. And you're saying, well, what's the difference? It's the same thing, a false prophet. It, to me, it's yes and no. Yes and no on that idea. And we have a hand up in the back, and I'm not sure where the mic is. Go ahead. Well, they wouldn't be false prophets if they're actually prophesying for their God. Mm -hmm. So it would be they would be regular just prophets. Exactly. That, in a sense, is a very important point. And it's strange because the New Testament uses the phrase false prophet to let you know. But the old the Old Testament, so to speak, you must know the word of Elohim, walking it out to know the difference like what was stated. That's, to me, where it's important. Then, as it is when it was there, as it is now for us today. Because it isn't always clear in the context. Or, let's say, it's not always clear, but you need the context to understand what's going on. The written Torah, the Word of God, came down on Sinai, and it is the Word the words or the word of instruction that determines that. It determines truth. If you disregard it then, you'll surely have a lot of falsehood. That would be false understandings, and, you, and that would be applying to anyone who would be speaking on behalf of the Most High. So just to clarify, what I'm saying is, this idea of false prophets, we tend to think false prophets, oh yeah, he, 
But it comes down to the word. It just says prophet. You have to know if this prophet, his words are false or not. But that isn't always the case either. So, so when the New Testament uses the term false prophet, is to be understood in the context of what was given uh, to his people, Elohim to his people, through the hand of Moses. And I do mean all God's people, anyone who's following after the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Whatever denomination you think you belong to or you want to belong to or whatever, those commandments are for all his people, regardless. So this idea of false prophet also brings up something else that determines, what determines a false prophet then? And I know that's strange. He just said, or you could say it this way. What makes a prophet false? And it has to be accompanied of what you're comparing it to at the same time. Because there, a prophet that comes to mind in a similar picture of this false prophet that we have here, a prophet magician. You know the event of what I might be talking about. Remember the talking donkey. All right? So, with this concept, or this idea that I was looking at, was Balaam a false prophet? It might be a trick question. My answer, I believe, is no, he was not a false prophet because he did hear from Yahuwah. However, um, he, he changed what he was told because of greed, and so he gave hint to how the king could, I can't remember the king's name, it's real close to his, but Balak. Balak. So he told Balak how he could get the people to sin against Yahuwah and therefore curse themselves. But this was, but he's, he was not a false prophet. He did hear and he did speak what Yahuwah told him to. My, my definition, however, of, of a false prophet is someone who does not speak exactly what is in the word, what is, what is given to them from Yahuwah. Anything else is false. That very well could be. And I'm glad because we're going to look at Balaam, and maybe all day today, depending on I want to look at Balaam, go through this story, and understand Balaam. Because like I was saying, I think he's a similar picture of who we have here that's happening in Acts. Paul's running into this false prophet magician. Okay? So I want to look at uh, Balaam, and we're going to look at that. Um, and if you want, you can go to Numbers 22. That will be there. So what comes along with all this as well Looking at this, and like Barry said, well, I define this, and I define this, and I, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but that can get confusing when we're talking, you know, if we don't have an understanding when we're talking to one another or to other people, you see what I'm saying? False prophet. Well, there could be 
prophets out there from other gods that might be right on spot. And they're not false as far as what they say. All right? So I'll get you, Val, and let's get into this. I think we're going to get into this story. And because I think there's a lot of insight. Do you have the mic, Val? Yeah. um, So my comment real quick concerning, you know, whether somebody is a false prophet or not, it goes back to what we studied last week, the Deuteronomy 13 test. Like, are they... Are they preaching the word? Are they, it doesn't matter what kind of miracles and things that they do. If they're straying away from what Torah teaches, then they are a false prophet, plain and simple. No, yes. So that means that we have to know the word of Elohim pretty personal lie in a personal way. But what's so is interesting, yes. Give me one second. Let's get the mic to you. That says that a true uh, prophet is one who teaches the difference between clean and unclean, holy and unholy, uh, kadosh and un- mm-hmm. kadosh. That, that would be the, the priest to have that op- mm-hmm. do that. But it also applies to all of us because we are kings and priests of the Most High Yahweh. Mm-hmm. So, um, had another thought. <laughs> another thought. Like, and I do want to apologize. A statement I made last week was something about the <clears throat> the Christian. I'm not talking about the Christian person. I'm talking about the system that deceives and keeps us from the Tanakh and the and the true prince or priest and the holy and unholy. So anything that is spoken against the Tanakh that would be someone who's not speaking the truth. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So what I want to do is going through looking at Balaam, to me, in all honesty, with all of what we're talking about, we do want, we want our, our faith to be perfect, little perfect, in a little theology theological box that we've created where we make statements false prophet but the person might not be he's a prophet and what he said has come true so he can't be false you see what i'm saying what happens especially with balaam we heard a little bit of who balaam was but i went back and i'm really looking into the story of balaam and i think there's a lot that we could learn that's going on with that. So, and that goes back to the idea of when we really start to ponder the text that's in, in front of us. Sometimes, maybe, our little theological box doesn't fit. And we can't make things fit to our box. It has to fit to what the text says. So, Balaam might be one of these examples. At least, I believe so. So let's continue this week with the story of Balaam. Now, this is a disclaimer. And I'm asking you not to think that we're getting away from the, uh, off the path from our Acts study. Just we are stopping for lunch on the side of the road for a little bit. That's what we're doing. 
Because all these stories have been recorded for us for a reason. So, everyone enjoy their lunch. We're still in act, believe it or not. Numbers 22 is where, where this story of Balaam is. It is where you'll find the story of Balaam. The background of the story is the children of Israel camped in the desert plains of Moab, beyond the, uh, the Jordan of Jericho, right across from Jericho on the other side of the river. This is the land of the Moabites. And Balak, he, Balak, son of Zippor, he's the king of the Moabites. And he saw all that Israel had done to the, his other neighbors, the Amorites. So, the people of Moab was exceedingly afraid of the children of Israel because of their numbers. Moab was in dread because of the children of Israel, and that's what the text actually says. They are in dread. Moab said to the elders of Midian, now this company is licking this, these people. They're licking up all <laughs> this. I'm sorry, this is funny. And this company is licking up all is around us. And as an ox licks up the grass of the field. That's really sarcasm, I think. Look at these people. They're going around. They're eating up thing, everything. They're pooping everywhere. That's, you see how they're comparing it to the cattle. Yeah, so they're... <laughs> So it's an interesting picture if you look at it that way, and I'm not saying that's exactly, but this is, sometimes I see these things, it's like, wow, you could be taking it that way. Anyhow, Balak the king sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at, P, uh, at Pethor, okay, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to, to call him, saying, see, a people has come from Egypt. See, they have covered the surface of the land, and they're settling next to me. They have come in, and they're next to me, and my people don't like it. So Balak the king wanted Balaam to curse Israel for him. The king wanted to drive them out of the land. The king must know of Balaam as a prophet magician. Balak even says, the king even says to Balaam, for I know that whom you bless is blessed, and whom you curse is cursed. That's interesting wording. Why do I say Balaam is a prophet, magician? I think the text really explains it. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian left with the fees, money, a divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke the words of Balak, their, their king, to him. And if you look at this word divination, witchcraft, money for witchcraft, sorcery, whatever, you apply whatever word that you want there in that sense, because it really comes back to all the same. This was in their hand to give to him. You see the relationship with the list of the associated terms we saw with the office of prophet last week. Wise men, teacher, priest, physician, astrologer, Caesar, interpreters, dreams, 
soothsayers, sorcerers, etc. Here we see again the relationship with the prophet in our Acts portion, a prophet magician. In the minds of the elders and the king, they they viewed it as divination. Whether Balaam was a practicer of that or not, let's just put that on hold for now. Let's see how it goes. But here the king wanted Elohim to act on his behalf. He was just not inquiring some information. He wanted Elohim to act on his behalf. Do we ever want that for ourselves? Is that wrong? Come on, you guys have like Elohim, God, please help do. So, anyhow, messengers are sent from the king to Balaam. And Elohim came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? Who is these men with you? Sounds like, remember in the garden, where are you, Adam? Interesting. And Elohim said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You do not curse the people, for they are blessed. And he was told not to go with them, with these men who were sent from the king. And he didn't go at first, but it seems like he did go. But he did not, it's interesting, but, what, but that did not hinder the king and what he wanted. So what he did is sent more men, numerous with more esteem than the first. So, I would interject here into the text, the pressure is on. Temptation, maybe? There's money involved. If you look at the simplicity, there's money involved. And recognition and fame. Did Balaam have a reputation and a name to uphold? Because if the king gives you a good endorsement, Will your business grow? Yes, Barry. Not heard it mentioned, but at a study sometime in the past, I don't recall if it was yours or or Rabbi Mark, but it was mentioned that they had to travel a long way, and it was a it was many days in in getting to Balaam. So it was not only steam money but it was also distance should be counted in that as well oh to get, to get him and bring him back mm-hmm. it very well could be and depending on how far we get it's interesting where this takes place so this whole idea you're the best the king lays on thick flattery you have a gift use it after all that's why it was given to you right there is no one like you for miles around. You're, this is the king. The story continues. Because it's interesting. This is exactly what the king was doing. For I esteem you very greatly, Balaam. And whatever you say to me, I do. Therefore, please come curse these people. Am I reading more into this? But come. 
I give you great glory. You're the best, right? So that right there has got to be pretty tempting for Balaam anyhow. With money and all these other things. Can we relate to that personally in our walk? <laughs> yes. But the story continues, and you know of the speaking donkey. And Balaam, um, Balaam, uh, Balaam answers and said to the servants of Balak the king, Though Balak were to give me his house filled with silver and gold, I am unable to go beyond the word of Yahuwah, my Elohim, to do less or more. And now please, you also stay here tonight and let me find out what more Yahuwah says to me. And Elohim came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you that you do. It is interesting. Have you ever saw that? Balaam states that Yahweh is his God. Then there's that word if, and we'll get to that. And Balaam arose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the heads of Moab. But the displeasure of Elohim burned because he went and the messengers, the messenger of Yahweh stationed himself in the way as an adversary, an accuser against him. And he was riding on his donkey and his two, two servants were with him, with him, excuse me. So I, this time looking at, here comes this word, if. It didn't say that the men came to him again. It sounds like they came, talked with Balaam, Balaam went off. And it sounds like Elohim said, if they come to you. But it sounds like maybe that really didn't happen that way. Maybe Balaam got up, knew where they at, and he was walking around to get into the visual. So they, oh, there he is. I don't know. But Elohim was displeased. Because he... The, the only thing I could figure out, if the men come and call on you. Well, they were already there, it sounds like, in one way or another. So did, I don't know, I, I'm just guessing here, did Balaam make himself kind of available when he didn't have to? Do we do things like that? No, something's wrong, but kind of go over here and... Mm -hmm. I believe this is why maybe Elohim was angry with Balaam all of a sudden. Is Balaam then trying to be a king pleaser, a pleaser of the world? The donkey hinders Balaam three times and gets beaten three times. And Yahweh opened the mouth of the donkey, and, and, and I know I'm skipping a lot through this, and Yahweh opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have beaten me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have mocked me. I wish there were a sword in my hand, for I would have killed you by now. 
who's really being mocked here? Balaam or Elohim? And the actions of what Balaam is doing. Obviously, Elohim isn't pleased with his prophet. And the messenger of Yahweh said to him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? See, I have come out to stand against you because your way is reckless before me. And the donkey saw, uh, and the donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, I certainly would have killed you by now and let her live. Whoa, those are the words from the Most High. The donkey's a little bit worth a little bit more than what you're doing right now, Balaam. You'll find this in Acts. I thought this was interesting. It will come to that. But Paul speaks to that false uh, false prophet magician on the island of Cyprus. This is one thing that he begins to say to him. And said, oh, son of the devil, accuser. The same terminology as an adversary as this messenger. You, son of the accuser, devil, filled with, the, with all deceit and all recklessness. Your enemy, you, your enemy of all un, of righteousness, you're the enemy of all righteousness. Shall you not cease perverting the straight ways of Yahuwah? To me, this really even focused, or connects even more with the similarity between Balaam and this particular prophet that is on the island of uh, Cyprus. So we will read that again. But do you also see mercy is shown here on the part of Elohim? Because he could have not even dealt with the donkey and just... Wouldn't you just call that mercy? And Balaam said to the messenger of Yahuwah, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. And now, if evil is in your eyes, let me turn back. And the messenger of Yahuwah said to Balaam, Go with the men. Okay, you're here. I didn't. But only the word that I speak to you, that's what you're to say. I think that's the key in here, which I've heard some of you point out. The idea, false prophet, or a prophet. But only the word I speak to you, that you speak. Balaam then went with the heads of Balak, of the king. And like was pointed out, this is the key in Deuteronomy 13 in a lot of ways, too. Yes, Barry. 
here's a question. Why does it say, but only the word that I speak to you, rather than saying only the word that is given you or only the word that is spoken to you? Why does it say, but only the word that I speak to you, it says here? I'm not following. It means that whatever... Because it says, it says a, a messenger of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Who is this messenger if the messenger is saying only the word that I speak to you? Oh, no, I, I see what you mean. So you have, who is the messenger of Yahweh? Who is this messenger? That's another big... I, I would just answer it there. I, I see it as the word of Yahuwah, the messenger of Yahuwah is Yahuwah, somehow, some way. It's viewed one and the same theologically or physically. I, let's just stick to what the text says on that one. But it is the word of Elohim, not signs and wonders, like what was pointed out, that are performed by the prophet. Right? Even if that is, even if whatever is said from that prophet comes true, but if it leads you away from the Torah, the instructions of Elohim, then you should not fear what that, what had been said. Yes, Mark. So your graphic is really saying a big piece of what we're to understand, and that is it doesn't matter if there's prophets for other deities because they're speaking for them. Who cares? You know, only the people that worship them care what they're saying. Exactly. But for Elohim's people, we're only, he's telling us in the text, we only listen to him. So if someone rises up that is speaking for him, claiming to speak for him, and and the things don't come true, and he leads us away, that's how you deem the false prophet. Now, obviously, he can choose who he wants to be the spokesperson, uh, but when the person says, thus says Yahuwah, this is what changes everything. Yes, no, and I think that's, in, uh, that's very key. So the words must match Elohim's words. The ways much, the ways much, must match Elohim's way, right? <laughs> oh. I know at the beginning you told us to stay on topic and don't get off topic, <laughs> but don't give me the mic if you want me to do that. Um, Here's an irony. The irony is that this person, who I believe was, you say, a man of God, but in the ancient Near East, a lot of these people had pantheons of God, and they served more than one God. So it may not have been the only Elohim that he served was yod heh But his eyes are closed because he has it set upon his heart to pursue something. And then does that make his donkey or his ass mm-hmm. a prophet? Because the donkey sees something spiritually in the way of proceeding 
in the way that this so-called man of God, this prophet, wants to go, but the prophet doesn't see it. And then you mentioned the mercy of God because he allows him to go ahead and pursue the pursuits of his heart. And in the process of doing that, he's going to bless his people with the mouth of the man the same way he used the mouth of the donkey. So when the scripture says even the rocks will cry out, <laughs> yeah. he can use what he chooses to use because it is his will and his purpose. So sometimes I may feel like a donkey and he may give me the mic <laughs> so that I can speak. <laughs> That's, thank you, brother. And I think that is, this is the, I'm glad, because this is the important part, knowing those words, knowing his ways. And it's interesting, Isaiah, uh, I won't read it all, but in Isaiah 8, it's, there's interesting things. And it even says, to the Torah and to the witness, or the warnings, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no daybreak in them. They have no light. They have no even. They haven't even dawned to have light yet in them. Speaking about actually, Isaiah was speaking about them doing the very God. Some of God's people going and speaking to the dead, trying to hear what Grandma had to say to help me out right now. And Elohim is very very strict on this idea about that because he even says what good will the dead give you it's the living is where that i am alive he's a living god so so balaam is an interesting study on the subject of prophet and prophecy also the character of a person of a prophet is coming up very clearly here isn't it right you can't say that he was false in what he said because one of the greatest prophecies about the Messiah actually comes from him. The star prophecy. At least that's what it's known by. He did say what was told to him by Elohim. But there was more to Balaam and what he was about. And it, yeah, there was Balaam and Elohim. There's still that struggle going on between the two, Elohim and him, Elohim and us. You know the story. Balaam goes three times for the king. It occurs in three different locations. Could you say the king was tempting him for his own benefit? Of course, these three times. It kind of parallels another temptation story. Does that remind you of someone who was taken to three different locations and says, you know what, if you bow down, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world? Yeshua himself was taken to three different places and was tempted. I think there's a parallel. The story shows that 
ultimately, that no king or powers are over Elohim. That's another big thing that's happening here. Elohim is above all and chooses whatever he chooses. Balaam goes and comes back with the opposite of what the king wanted, right? Oh, how do I curse whom Elohim has not cursed? And how do I rage at whom Yahweh has not raged? And I'm, there's much more in these, but I'm just looking at them. So Balaam go, comes back, and it's the opposite. A blessing and not a curse. And Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you have kept on blessing. You have to look at there's little agitation going on in the king here. He paid some good money to get some results, right? And he answered and said, because the contract was from the very beginning, Balaam said, I'm only going to tell you what. Give me the money. Because <laughs> he probably knew well, you're not going to get any benefit out of this, but give me the money and then we'll go see God. I don't know if that's the way it happens or not. But anyhow, and he answered and said, should I not take heed and speak what Elohim has put in my mouth? And Balak said to him, Please come with me another place from where you see them. You only see the extremities, but not all of them. Come and maybe if you see them all, it might change it a little bit, right? If you get a little bit different viewpoint, and maybe there you'll curse them. Does this happen to us sometimes? Oh, that's wrong, but nah, if we position ourselves over here, it's a little bit different, right? Anyhow, same result. For there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor is there any divination against Israel. I think that's very important here. Now it is said to Jacob and to Israel, what has El done? For there is no sorcery against Jacob. The king is frustrated. I guarantee you frustrated. To say the least, what's going on here. And Balak said to Balaam, do not curse them at all. Oh, I've had it. Maybe just stop. Because <sighs> I'm not getting it right. You know, do not curse them at all, nor bless them at all. If you, it's just not going right here. And then Balaam answered and said again to Balak, I have not spoken, have I not spoken to you all that Yahweh speaks that I'm going to do and say to you? Okay, the king, but the king thinks maybe from another location. Okay, he's not giving up on this, is he, right? Another location might do it. Now, I wonder if these locations were high places. High places of worship. Ah, that adds a little bit more going in, into the whole picture of what's going on. Maybe different gods are associated with him. Okay, it's not working over here. Let's go over here, Balaam. You know? Maybe Balak is working his way up to the biggest god that they got on the special mountain. 
Balak said to Balaam, please come, let me take you to another place. It might be right in the eyes of Elohim that you curse them for me. Maybe this is where your God will kind of bow down to this God and we'll get a change. And Balaam saw that it pleased Yahuwah to bless Israel. He did not go as other times to seek to use sorcery. But he set his face towards the wilderness, and Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes. And the spirit of Elohim came upon him. So whatever you want to say about Balaam, the spirit of the Most High came upon him. There is, there, is, there is a change in maybe, let's say, operation here. No sorcery this time. Does that mean Elohim can be found through sorcery? No. Don't say no. Yes. No, not at all. But it's interesting. Balaam was kind of doing two things here, was he not? No sorcery this time. Or I would rather say, sorcery has no power over the Almighty, our God. None has no power over the Elohim of Israel. Mark. I wasn't going to say anything, but because you brought up this location of the high place, it's interesting that this, the person that's being used, that God chose, it's one of the most prophetic utterances in all of Scripture, just and what was said was just astounding. And and you look at who he's used, but you look at, we're going to touch on today, the set times of prayer, the times that the morning and the evening offering is, is done. And you see these places, like when Elijah mocked the false prophets at 3 p.m. at a place of offering sacrifice and worship. So I think, yes, the location, I think the time of day, I think... Uh, the spirit coming upon him, and maybe, maybe what came out of his mouth he had no control over. Very well, could be. And and it's like he looks at Balak, and Balak goes, "You cursed or you blessed him again?" And he's like, "I did." <laughs> so we don't know for sure, but we know that God came upon him, and everything was set for him to rise up and make a an amazing example. What I think is interesting here is things do kind of change here. Um, let me finish this here because this I think this is interesting. It goes on, and he took up this proverb and said, The sayings of Balaam, son of Behor, and, and the sayings of the, of the men whose eyes are open, and the sayings of him who hears the words of El, he sees the vision of the Almighty. So maybe there's something here a little bit different this time around. And that should bring back, as we'll see, that was actually happens to Aaron and Miriam when they were come up against Mo, uh, Moses. And he says, you know what? You guys aren't prophets. I speak to my prophets through vision and dream. That's how I will talk to them, you know? So the king gets the same result from Balaam. 
The displeasure of Balak burned against Balaam and he struck his hands together. Balak then said to Balaam, I summon you to curse my enemies and see you have kept on blessing them these three times. And now flee to your place. I said I would greatly esteem you and see Yahweh has kept you back from esteem. So what's interesting here, look at the statement that he says. See, Elohim has kept you back from glory. (laughs) Yah has kept you back from glory, Balaam. Don't you realize that? He kept you back from glory. Isn't that what, the, in some ways, the world says? Your God's hindering you, your diet and your feast. Yeah. Right? Keeping you from the glorious things that all the, the world can offer. Oh. Go ahead. Okay, so as we're looking at these chapters, I can't help but see a parallel between um this these passages and the times of the of the ten plagues when when Moses was sending them to Egypt and saying it's like well what what am I gonna say to them? It's like tell them I am who I am. Mm-hmm. And then when he when he came to the to the leaders of Egypt, you know, it was like and then he you know, showing them miracles, not by his power of course, but by Yahuwah's power showing them who he is. And then, of course, they have their little magicians there trying to do their little magic tricks. And then, of course, the, the part where where Yahuwah turns Moses' uh, staff into a bigger snake and eats those other snakes. And so, and it just, and it just goes to show throughout those ten plagues, just like you, you can do whatever little magic tricks you want to do. You're not going to compare with I am who I am. That's just exactly. not going to happen. And so it's like, and I see, I'm seeing the same thing here, where it's like, you know, the, this, this king, he wants to curse Yah's people, but Yah still saying, I am who I am. You're not going to change that. Exactly. And Paul, and then we'll have to close. Perfect segue, and I love patterns in Scripture. Number one, like she said, the plagues in Egypt were multiple applications there. It was denouncing denouncing the gods of Egypt, but also showing his mighty hand to those who would see. So if you say that these other high places were high places of other gods, then yud in an opportunity because in the Near East, gods were regional and territorial. And here is God being able to speak on another God's territory and bless his people who's coming into the territory to depossess the people of the other gods. So he's not bound by geography or high places of other Elohim. So this is a powerful testimony scripturally, not only for those whose eyes would be open to see, using that same parallel with the donkey not being able to, you know, and so on. So it's something that we can take with us today that wherever we are, we may find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of darkness, but yet he is with us. I mean. So true. Thank you. Now, we still had some more to go through, so maybe we'll get back to this next week. But, and Balaam said to Balak, 
did I not also speak to your messengers on on whom you sent to me, saying, if Balak should give me all this money in the world, blah, blah, blah. now whatever Yahweh has told me, I'm going to say. And now see, I am, um, see, and then Balaam says this, now see, I am going to my people. Come, let me advise you what this people is going to do to your people in the latter days. Whoa. So, oh, honestly, this is where the one prophecy, and we'll come back to it next week. And if you didn't catch it, this is Balaam's freebie here. The king didn't pay for this one. Right? Not at all. And this is where this this prophecy, the star prophecy, plays a part in Messiah. And like Mark was saying, it is one of the greatest prophecies to be spoken. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> careful the free stuff. So, Father Yahweh, great and mighty you are. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to your word. Father, be with us today and help us to understand, be strengthened. And Father, thank you for your love and your mercy that you so graciously put upon us. Amen. Shalom, everyone. Shalom online. We'll come back next week.